We're going to turn in our Bibles tonight to the book of Revelation. And um, we're going to go back to the church of Philadelphia tonight. And uh, I had intended to do this last week, and the Lord just kind of took us a different direction altogether. And I don't apologize for that. How could I apologize for what God does? Amen. The only thing I would have to apologize for is if I didn't follow what he's trying to do. Amen. Praise God. And so we're going to the book of Revelation chapter 3. And once again, rather than using our normal set of text verses uh, for this series, we're going to just read the letter to the church at Philadelphia. And I believe that this will be more beneficial to us, especially by way of review. And so Revelation chapter 3, and we'll begin with verse number 7. Revelation chapter 3 and verse 7. Praise God. And to the angel of the church, that is the messenger of the church. That's what the word means in the original angelas, is messenger. To the messenger of the church in Philadelphia, write, These things saith he that is holy, he that is true, he that hath the key of David, he that openeth and no man shutteth, and shutteth and no man openeth. I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it. For thou hast a little strength, and hast kept my word, and hast not denied my name. Behold, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan, which say they are Jews, and are not, but do lie. Behold, I will make them to come and worship before thy feet, and to know that I have loved thee, because thou hast kept the word of my patience. I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation, which shall come upon all the world, to try them that dwell upon the earth. Behold, I come quickly. Hold that fast which thou hast, that no man take thy crown. Him that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go out no more, or he shall go no more out. And I will write upon him the name of my God, in the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem, which cometh down out of heaven from my God, and I will write upon him my new name. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Amen. And so tonight we uh, again are going to try to pick up with this lesson on Philadelphia. Don't know. If we'll finish it tonight, perhaps we will, um, but we're going to try part three of this study of the Church of Philadelphia as a part of our series on lessons from the seven churches. Would you put your Bibles down, lift your hands, lift your voices, and let's ask the Lord to help us tonight. I need his touch tonight. My voice is really weak tonight for the first time in a long time. I need the Lord to help me tonight. Let's pray together. Everybody, let's talk to the Lord right now.
tonight for your glory. Oh, Lord Jesus, I'm asking for the anointing and action of the Holy Ghost to rest upon me, God, as I feed the flock of God tonight. I want, oh, God, to give them what you have put upon my heart. Lord Jesus, help us tonight and meet with us in a special way. We thank you now, Lord. We thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord. Let's lift our hands and worship him one more time, everybody. Let's praise him together. Let's praise him together. Let's praise him together. Hallelujah. seated. Allow me, because it has been a couple of weeks, allow me to do a, uh, hopefully a brief review before we get into the uh, material that I want to cover tonight. I would begin by just reminding you, I don't think it's necessary that I remind you, but I do want to remind you that the name Philadelphia is a compound Greek word coming from two Greek words, phileo, uh, which is love, and then autophos, which means brother. You put them together, phileo and autophos, you get Philadelphia, and that means brotherly love. And that is the name of this city. It was a city that was relatively new at the time of John's writing. It was only a few hundred years old, and in John's day, cities were generally much, much older than that. And, uh, of course, you know, and I don't want to get sidetracked, but the older you get, um, the word new and young kind of take on different meanings. I, I remember years ago, we had moved into a house I was pastoring in South Texas, We'd moved into a house, and one day an elderly gentleman who lived behind us came over to the fence. I was out mowing the grass. He came over to the fence, and so I stopped the mower and walked over to talk to him. And we talked for a while, made some small talk, introduced ourselves. And, and then he said, now look, he said, if you ever want your grass cut, he said, I'll have my boy come over and cut it for you. And I said, all right, well, I'll keep that in mind. Well, I found out later the man to whom I was speaking was in his 80s, and his boy was in his 60s. But I guess when you're in your 80s, someone in their 60s seems like a boy. <laughs> uh, so that's just the way it goes. And I find myself a lot of times saying, you know, this young man, this young man. And somebody said, well, he's 40 years old. Well, to me, that seems young right now. So that's just the way it works. And with the passage of time, young gets older and old gets younger. Amen. And uh, that's just, just the way that it works. But, but we say this was a relatively new, relatively young city compared to other cities of its day. Uh, it was perhaps created to be the center for the Grecian and Roman civilization. And it may have been founded specifically with social purposes in mind. It was located on the verge of a very fertile territory. 
a plateau country. It was on the plains, fertile plains, where there was a lot of farming activity and produce that was raised there. Uh, it was it was known as the doorway to the east. It was the center of a, a trade route, an imperial postal route, and a military route. It was the heart of the continent. And we've talked about these things and how amazingly uh, similar it is to our own location and to where we are in the heart of our nation and the crossroads really of America uh, right here. It really is and has been since uh, shortly after the founding of our country and uh, that's the way it's been. And again, we are on the verge of the fertile plains uh, of the Midwest and all of these things that seem so relevant to us uh, the trade routes, the, the, the postal centers, the, the military uh, centers that, uh, that base around here and out of here. And so many people would pass through this city. And uh, uh, it was in this kind of a setting that a very healthy church was being built. In fact, it was so healthy that I have stated already in this series and I believe the greatest promise ever given to uh, a church in the scripture was given to the church at Philadelphia. God made a promise to them that he did not make anywhere else and uh, in these other letters, but he did to the church of Philadelphia. And I do believe that it was in great part because this was a church that was built upon brotherly love. It was a church that cared about one another, that had the needs of others in the forefront of its mind. I believe that that kind of an attitude and a spirit is always impressive to God and will always get the attention and the approval of heaven. Amen. Amen. But there were other reasons, and we're going to try our best to get into some of those reasons tonight, in fact, uh, as to why this great promise was made. Now, over the last two lessons, I uh, once again pointed out that in these letters, uh, as the letter would open, the Lord would choose to identify himself in a specific way. And the way in which he would identify himself always, always uh, had something to do with the message he was going to deliver to that church. Whether it be a word of judgment or whatever it might be, uh, he would identify himself in a special way. And as we have read in our uh, text here tonight, he opens this letter by identifying himself as the one who is holy. And then he says that he is the one who is true. Praise God. Amen. Both of these things we've talked about and the significance of these things as the Lord addressed the church at Philadelphia. He is first and foremost a holy God. 
and he is a true God. In fact, he is the only true God. Well, praise God. Amen. He also identified himself as having the key of David. We talked about this in our last lesson and what this meant. He's referring back to a passage from the book of Isaiah where a man was given authority and control over the palace of the king. And he was the one who decided who would come and go into the king's home praise God he made the decision he had the authority to open doors and to close them but it wasn't just a matter of opening the door it was a matter of unlocking that door and opening it and it wasn't just a matter of closing the door because you know if the door's unlocked even though it's closed, you can still make entrance. But he said, I hold the key. Therefore, when he closes the door and he says no man can open it, he wasn't just stating that he closed it. He was saying, I'm locking that door and you don't have entrance in unless I unlock it for you. Amen. That's why it is so significant when he said, except a man be born of water and spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. It's because he holds the keys. And what he's telling us is the keys of the kingdom, uh, have the, the, the door of the kingdom is locked to anybody who has not been born of water and of spirit. Those doors are locked to them and they cannot get in. They cannot get in. And then interestingly, uh, I didn't spend time dealing with this, but we do find that Jesus in the book of Matthew chapter 16 said to Peter, I'm giving to you the keys of the kingdom. And he said, whatever you bind, or could we put it this way, whatever you lock on earth is locked in heaven. And he said, whatever you loose or whatever you unlock on earth, is unlocked in heaven. And so when people tell me it doesn't matter what Peter said on the day of Pentecost, I'm here to tell you it does matter what he said. Because he'd been handed the keys by the man who owns the keys. Peter was not given authority to change the locks just to use the keys. And so when he unlocked the door and said the only way you're going to be saved is through repentance, water baptism in Jesus' name, and the infilling of the Holy Ghost, when he unlocked that door, it's because the key fit in that door. It was Jesus who made that key work. That was not the idea of Peter himself. Peter was just explaining what Jesus meant when he said you got to be born of water and born of the Spirit. Well, hallelujah. Another lesson for another night or day or whatever. But, uh, but he's the one who has the key. Now, this also, it's not just the key of salvation, but I believe it's the key of revival. And we talked about the many places in Scripture where there were open doors that were opened uh, uh, or doors that were opened to revival. Amen. And we may even look at some of that again tonight. 
depending on how, uh, how things unfold as we go forward. But I am here to tell you that it wasn't just the key of salvation, but that open door was a door of revival as well. And he promised an open door of revival to the church at Philadelphia. Amen. As, as I pointed out uh, the first night that I taught on this, uh, I had taught many years ago, uh, 26 years ago, uh, I had taught this church uh, about these seven churches. And I had mentioned there that God had granted to Philadelphia an open door. And I stated while I was teaching that I longed for the day that a man of God, a prophet of God would come without knowing anything and say to this church that God had given us an open door. And then just some months later, when my pastor came to preach for us, he stood behind the pulpit in this church and said, I've never preached this anywhere else, but God wanted me to tell this church that he's given you an open door. And then, and then just a few weeks ago, another man of God stood behind this very pulpit and preached. And he told us later, I've never preached that anywhere, but God told me to tell this church, I've given you an open door. Now, church, let us not take that lightly. Let us not just brush that aside. Let us not just say those are simply words that somebody is speaking, but let us take it as it is, a word of prophecy that comes from Jesus himself. We're not going to be like just any other church, but God has looked down in his infinite compassion and love and mercy and said to the true church, I have given you an open door. Oh, hallelujah. Now, now I pointed out that in these other lessons, in these other letters, and we've studied five of them so far, and in these other letters, uh, in every one of them, the Lord found something wrong in that church. There was something that the Lord condemned that was going on in that church. With one exception, he did not condemn uh, those uh, that uh, uh, were in the church in Sardis. Uh, but he did say to them that uh, he was going uh, to protect them and keep them and that they would be crushed uh, uh, but that that was going to be their salvation hallelujah amen and so we find that uh, he found things wrong but in the letter to the church at Philadelphia there is no condemnation there was nothing that God pointed out that was wrong about this church nor did he say you're only going to be saved through your tribulation he didn't say that to this church he only spoke good things to them 
and gave them wonderful promises. Amen. And again, I believe that was in part because this was a church that lived up to the name, amen, of the city in which they were founded. This was a church of brotherly love. Praise God. Then the Lord begins to tell them, I know your works. Now this was something he said to other churches. But in the case of the other churches, mostly the works that he began to identify were bad works. They were evil works. They were carnal works. But here he says to Philadelphia, I don't just know those evil and carnal and bad things that other churches are doing. I want you to know, Philadelphia, I know your works. I've seen your labors. Amen. I've bottled your tears. I know your prayers. I've heard your cries. Well, hallelujah. Amen. He was saying, I see the good things that you've done. You may not be seeing right now a lot of results, Philadelphia, but just know this. uh, I have taken notice of everything that's going on. Others may not see it and others may not recognize it and you may not have a name that's being spread across your continent but listen, your name resounds in my ears and I see what you've been doing. I recognize where you stand and I love you for it, Philadelphia. And it was after this statement, it was after this statement that I know your works, that he said to them, I set before you an open door. Now, now listen, he did not really fully explain everything that was involved with that open door. He didn't really, he just said, I'm, I've set before you an open door. Now he had explained previously that he had the key or he had the authority to do that he could open the door he could shut the door he could lock it he could unlock it he had the key and then he says and in your case I've unlocked it and I've opened it to you to your church but he didn't really say what that involved and what would be a part of that amen perhaps perhaps a part of it was because they were at the center They were at the crossroads. And because it allowed them to become a multicultural assembly, but also an assembly that would be reaching cultures that would not stay locally, but would be spread. They would go back to their home countries. They'd go back to their native cities. And they would take the message with them. Well, praise God. Hallelujah. We can't always judge the success of a church by how many people are sitting on the pew at any given moment. I I was amazed, and I don't say this to pat myself on the back, but I was amazed uh, when uh, I was with Brother Merriman in Mississippi, and we had folks there that I uh, pastored years and years ago 
who came to me and talked about the impact that uh, the things that I taught had had upon their life. And I'm telling you that we have people in other places, uh, amen, that, that really are an extension of what God's doing right here. They may not be sitting on these pews, but they're an extension of what God's doing right here. The church in Lynn Valley is an extension of this church. The church in Oak Grove, Mississippi is an extension of this church. Amen. Others that have gone from this place that are preaching what I put into their hearts, they're an extension of this church. So we don't judge success by what we see sitting on the pew. Well, praise God. Amen, amen. Now, let's go from there and try to cover some new territory here today. We're still talking about the Lord's commendation, commendation, the way he commended the church at Philadelphia. And, and in doing so, we want to continue, continue examining what this open door may have involved because I do not believe that the open door was only about their geography and their ability to reach other nations because of it. I believe that there was more to this open door and I think it's worth our time to look at it and to study it, especially in as much as God has both made and renewed that promise to this assembly. Praise God. So let's go back and read Revelation 3 verse 8 again. Get your Bibles open to Revelation 3. We're going to be spending time there. We're going to look at other verses as well, but we're going to be spending time in Revelation 3. So open your Bibles to the last book of the Bible, Revelation chapter 3. Let's read verse 8. I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it. For thou hast a little strength, and hast kept my word, and has not denied my name. Now, I want to show you something here. I know your works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it. And then he says, for. This word means because. For the reason that. What I want you to see is that God here is giving them an explanation as to why he has opened a door to them. Now, as I said, I do believe it is in part because this was the church of brotherly love. But he also begins to enumerate other reasons why he would give this promise to this church. First of all, he said, for or because thou hast a little strength. Now, there are commentators who believe that this was a mild rebuke. That you've just got a little strength. You should be stronger than you are. That's not the way I read this. That's not the way I see it based upon the context of the letter. He's not condemning them for what they don't have. He is commending them for what they do have. In fact, 
because he uses this word for, that tells me that this little strength is part of the reason he opened the door. If this was a rebuke, even a mild one, he would have said, in spite of that, I'm opening a door. But that's not what he said. He said, I opened a door because you have a little strength. Now, the Greek word for little is mikros. Mikros. Now, if I spell that for you, you would recognize the English word we have adopted from the Greek. Because it's spelled M-I-C-R-O-S. M-I-C-R-O is a word we use. Micro. We got that word from the Greek mikros. And it means exactly what micro means. It means small. But it really goes further than that in the definition. Because one way to define this as it appears in this verse is few in number. Now, compared to other churches, Philadelphia, you're a micro church. There are mega churches, and you're just a micro church. But you're a strong micro church. Oh, hallelujah. I love this. You're a strong micro church. It appears that the Lord was referring to the fact that at the time of the writing, this church was not a large church numerically. But he had opened a door. And Brother Goff, I believe part of that open door was about to change this fact. They may have been a micro church when this was spoken. But the fact that God opened a door that nobody could shut tells me it was about to change from micro to mega. Oh, hallelujah. Because that's the way God works. Oh, praise God. Now, I'm going to tell you, when I got to looking at this and reading this, there was a verse of scripture that came to mind. Luke chapter 12, verse 32. Listen to what he said here. Fear not, Fear little not. flock. Wait a minute. Fear not. Little flock. What? Fear not. This is, this is Luke 12 and 32. Fear not. Little flock. Little flock. Read. For it is your father's, it's good, your pleasure father's good pleasure to give you the to kingdom. Give you the kingdom.
That's what came to my mind, Brother Nelson. Amen. Fear not, little flock. You're a little flock now, but I want to tell you what the Father's good pleasure is. His good pleasure is to hand to you the entire kingdom. That's what he's saying to Philadelphia. You're a little flock right now. You're a micro flock right now, but I want you to know it's the Father's good pleasure to give you everything that's in the kingdom. Hallelujah. Now this is interesting that he would say this to Philadelphia, the micro church. When you go back and you consider Ephesus, it's been a lot of weeks since we talked about Ephesus. But let me just tell you something about Ephesus. Ephesus, you may not remember this when we studied it, but Ephesus some commentators say may have had as many as 30,000 members. Ephesus was a mega church among mega churches. But he didn't look at Ephesus and say, I've set before you an open door. He looked at them and said, you left your first love. They may have been a big church in numbers, but they were lacking what Philadelphia had. Philadelphia had not abandoned their first love. Philadelphia was a church built on love. They may not have been nearly as big as Ephesus, but they had something Ephesus didn't have. And because they had it, God gave gave Philadelphia a promise he never gave Ephesus. Now, now let, me, let me back up because I, I got to correct myself. Somebody listening online is going to tear me apart um, because I said God never gave that promise to Ephesus. I meant he didn't give that promise in these letters. Now, when Paul first went to Ephesus, Paul said, there is a great door and effectual that is opened unto me and I'm going to remain here until Pentecost. God did open a door at Ephesus when they first began when they were still a microchurch. God opened a door to Ephesus, but Ephesus lost that. Now, please, listen, people get hung up on things like this because the Lord said no man can shut that door. You do understand that while no man can shut the door, don't forget that part of his description was that not only I'm he that openeth and no man can shut, but also I am he that shutteth. So when he says no man can shut the door, don't think that that means that God can't shut it. People get hung up on little things like that. It's just like where Jesus said, you know, that, that uh, we are in, uh, that, that no one, no man can pluck us out of the Father's hand. And so they take a verse like that and they say, see, once saved, always saved, because no man can pluck you out of his hand. Well, I'm just going to tell you something. You can't focus on the fact he said no man can take you out. He didn't say if you don't, that, that if you want out, you can't get out. 
Nor did he say that you might just find yourself so profane that God puts you out. And that is a scriptural principle. So, so all he's saying is nobody else has the power to make you lose out with God. Which takes away a lot of excuses for a lot of backsliders. Well, so-and-so did this, and this person did this, and the church did that, and the pastor did something else. And that's why I'm backslid today. No, no, no. You're backslid today because you chose to walk out on God. I know that's not a popular thing to say because we live in a day and age when everybody wants somebody else to blame. Everybody's a victim. Everybody's got a victim mentality. And so they all want to blame somebody else. But I'm here to tell you, no man can pluck you out of the Father's hand. So if you're no longer in the Father's hand, it's not anybody else's fault. That doesn't justify what they did. It doesn't justify how they may have hurt you. It doesn't justify how they may have wronged you. I'm not taking up for them. I'm just saying you made a willful choice to let that come between you and God. It wasn't God who did that to you. God's not the one who did it. You made that choice. You decided. To walk out. Well, if they hadn't done this, I would. No, 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 no. You know, look, it shouldn't surprise us that people have this attitude. That's the way it was in the garden. I mean, the very first man and woman. God says to Adam, What have you done? Adam said, The woman that you gave me, she made me eat. It's her fault. She's the one. And God says, The woman, what did you do? Oh, the serpent. He's the one that beguiled me. He's the one. Well, the serpent didn't have anybody to blame. There was nobody else on the totem pole. I mean, they reached the end of the line. There's nothing he could do. But here's the amazing thing about God. He cursed the serpent, but he started coming right back up. They didn't get away with putting blame on somebody else. God still cursed the woman and he cursed the man. So even though they tried to blame someone else, God brought it right back to them. And so you can point fingers at people. You can lay out all of your reasons, all of your explanations as to why you just can't live for God. But in the end, it really is not about anybody else. Well, the church is so full of hypocrites. Oh, so you think hell won't be? Now, look, I've said this before. I'm just going to say it again. To use hypocrites as a reason to stay away from church is the same as saying, I'm not going to the hospital because there are sick people there. Well, yeah, there's sick people in the hospital. That's where sick people belong. That's what hospitals are for. And do you realize the church is, among other things, a spiritual hospital? And while I don't justify the hypocrite, the best place for a hypocrite is in the church. 
Maybe, just maybe, God will do some spiritual surgery on them one day. Maybe, just maybe, God will get their attention one day. So, so you, can, you can point your finger in so many directions and blame so many people. But the fact of the matter is, it's ultimately your decision. And I can guarantee you somebody else has been through the same thing that you've been through and maintained their testimony. I, oh, I don't have time to get into all of this. I don't have time to get into all this, but, but here we go. I, I, heard a, I heard a preacher say one time, he said, he said I really believe that, that one night God gave me an illustration in a church service of what the day of judgment is going to be like. The Bible says everybody's going to answer for their deeds. Everybody. And he said, he said, he was, he was the guest speaker at a church on a Sunday morning and a Sunday night. And he said Sunday morning, literally half the church was missing. Literally half was missing on Sunday morning. And he said Sunday night, 100% were there. Everybody was in church that night. Nobody missed. And he said, but there were no visitors there whatsoever. Now, this is long before the days of live streaming and all that, all right? This was way back in the Stone Ages when I was in college. And uh, pterodactyls still flying overhead and all that. So, I mean, that's, that's where we were. So, so just get the picture now. So, so nobody's going to hear this except the people that are present. And the pastor that night... He was frustrated. And, and I, wouldn't, I wouldn't do this. I mean, unless God told me to do it, I wouldn't do it. But, but this man did. And I'm just trying to give you a little illustration here. It said the pastor just started down the line and said, Sister, you weren't here this morning. What happened? And, and she said, well, I got up this morning and I went out to get in my car and I had a flat tire. And I just, I just couldn't get it changed and get to church. I, I figured I'd get it done sometime and I'd, I'd be back tonight. And he said, for those of you that were here this morning, anybody here that got up and had a flat tire? And he said, somebody in the congregation raised their hand and said, I did, Pastor. And I was a little late, but I made it. He said, Okay. So he went to the next person and said, you, said, why, why weren't you here? Well, I, my, my, um, you know, my baby wasn't feeling well. Okay, all right. Anybody that came this morning that had a child that wasn't feeling well? Somebody raised their hand. Yes, sir, I did. Okay. And he said, for, he, said he went through the entire congregation and for every person, every person without exception, that had a reason they thought why they, missed, they, they were okay in missing church that morning, he said somebody else in that assembly had faced the exact same thing that very morning and had overcome it. And he said, I just really believe that's the way it's going to be on the day of judgment. He said, I believe that people are going to get up there and try to convince God. I mean, we read in Matthew that people are going to try to convince God. Look at all the things that I did do. 
He said, I just believe that, that they're going to say, Lord, here was the problem, and here's what I had to face, and here's what I had to go through. And God's going to look out across that crowd and say, was there anybody that had to endure that, and yet you made it? And somebody's going to raise their hand and say, yes, sir. I went through the same thing, but I lived for you in spite of it. I, I, I'm just telling you, we, we, can, we can point our fingers at everybody else. We can say, I'm not living for God today because of somebody else. We, we, can, we can say whatever we want to say, but in the end, it comes down to us and our choice. And somehow, we've just got to make up our mind. I'm going to live for God. I'm going to do what's right. Now, don't anybody take anything that I said as a personal attack on you. I'm, I'm not, again, I would not do that unless God just made me do it. I, 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 that's just not my method of operation. It's not the way I do things. And uh, I do know there are reasons. All right, so... All I'm doing is giving you an illustration. I just don't want you to take it beyond what I just said and then think that all of a sudden I'm aiming at you. I'm just laying out what I was told when I was in college by one of my instructors about a service he was in and what happened that day. So you can take that for what it's worth or what it's not worth. That's, that's not my point. My point is that there will always be excuses, I started to say reasons, always be excuses that will present themselves as to why we can't live for God. I'm not focused on the church attendance so much as I am on living for God. You understand? That's what I'm trying to get across. I, although I do believe we ought to come to church, obviously. <laughs> but, but my point is, in living for God, there are those who do not live for God and they blame someone else for it. And I'm just telling you, I'm telling you, I've, I've, been, I've been helping a, a, a friend who's writing a book, pastor friend's wife, uh, is writing a book of their story. And she talks about, as a little girl, how her father beat her when she would go to church. If he found out that she had been to church, she talked about him getting the belt and, and beating her with the belt to tell her not to come to church. And how that even one time the belt slipped and he, all he had a grip of was the buckle and he was using the buckle to beat her, to tell her not to go to church. But she would slip away, find a place where nobody could see her until the church bus came by. And then she'd jump out of her hiding spot, flag the bus driver down and ride to church. Now, I, most of us, most of us have never had to face that kind of opposition. 
And people who want to point their finger at, I can't live for God because this person did this to me. What is the day of judgment going to be like when you stand there with a woman who as a child was beaten by her own father but still made up her mind she was going to live for God? We can live for God if we want to. All right, I'm way off this topic here. I got to get back. It's getting a little bit tight here. We were doing good when I was talking about an open door. <clears throat> get down to where the rubber meets the road and it's just a little bit different now. If I'm not careful, we got somebody may start laying out some nails <laughs> for where the rubber meets the road. want to be careful that that doesn't happen. All right, all right. So um, Ephesus was a mega church, but God did not make the promise to Ephesus that he made to Philadelphia in these letters because they left their first love. Now, that's not all he said. Let's go back to Revelation 3, uh, 3 verse 8. Revelation 3, verse 8. I've set before thee an open door. No man can shut it for... Thou what? hast a little strength. You have a little strength. We've talked about that. And has kept and my word. has kept my word. Now, this is another reason. Again, this is part up because of the word and. You, you have a little strength. That's one reason why I've opened the door. And you've kept my word. That's another reason why I've opened the door. Because you have kept my word. So not only was Philadelphia a loving church, but it was a church that was built upon the word of God. It was a church where the word of God was elevated. The word of God took preeminence over everything else. You've kept my word. I've watched others. And, and if you remember any of the other churches we've dealt with, he addressed how they let Jezebel come in and they let this happen, they let that happen. And they, I mean, there was all kinds of things going on, but not in Philadelphia. In Philadelphia, they may not have been a big church, but they were grounded in the word of God. There was something about the word that they loved. And God loved them because they loved his word. John chapter 14, verse 23, listen to this. Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my father will love him, and he will come unto him and make our abode with him. Now listen, he said, If a man love me, he'll keep my words. And that's when the father really... Now the father loves everybody. But Jesus is emphasizing here that the father really, really, really loves those who love his word. That, that God loves those who love his word. Oh, I'm telling you, church, we can't make a big enough deal about the word of God. We can't make a big enough deal about the scriptures. Listen, this is what's going to keep us. We are living in a world that is changing faster than what we even know how to keep up with. Things are changing on a daily basis around us. I don't want to get back off into politics, but, but, but you know, we're, we're facing a time where, where you can't even say now that people only have two genders. 
And they want to let, let some man call himself a woman and enter into a woman's sports and go into women's locker rooms. And listen, they're creating a Sodom and Gomorrah. They're creating a world of absolute perversion that's going to bring the judgment of God upon this old world. That's what's going to happen. But there is one thing that's going to keep us from being affected by all the changes around us. And that is the word of God. It is forever settled in heaven. It doesn't change just because we reached the year 2000. It didn't change just because we reached the year 2020. It's not going to change if we're still here for 2030 or 2050. It's not going to change no matter what. The word of God is going to abide forever. Though heaven and earth pass away, his word will not pass away. In fact, he said not one jot, not one tittle. Now that, those, those words don't mean much to us, but understanding that that was written in the Greek language and in the Greek language, there were breathing marks, just small, tiny marks that were put over or under uh, a letter to show you the pronunciation of that letter in that particular case. Very small, very insignificant, but, but it did affect the meaning of the word. But it was just a small dot, a jot or a tittle, just, just a small dot or a small, almost like a, a, a micro comma mini comma and, and, and here's what the Lord said he said not one of those is going to pass away from my word not even a breathing mark my word is so accurate and so settled that not even a breathing mark about it's going to change We are founded here upon the truth of God's word. That's why we're called the truth church. Not because we're trying to say nobody else knows truth, but it's because Jesus said in John 17, 17, thy word is truth. And we're just declaring to this city and to this world, here's a church that's founded on the word. We're not interested in fads. We're not interested in what somebody in their mega church is trying to do. We're not trying to follow the crowds. We're following the word. That's what's important. And I'm going to tell you, I believe that's why God promised and reaffirmed a promise that he would open a door to us because this is a church that is founded upon the word of God. I've got to hurry. Looks like there's going to be a part four. It was founded on the word. It was founded on the word. Go ahead and read 1 Samuel 15, 22. And Samuel saith, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying, as in the, obeying the voice, the voice of, the Lord. of the Lord? Behold, Behold, to obey, to obey is better than is sacrifice. Better than sacrifice. And to hearken than the and fat to of rams. Hearken than the fat 
of rams. Now look, I, I spent four weeks talking about praise and I believe in praise. But I'm just here to tell you there's a lot of places you can go where they praise God but they don't obey his word. And the Bible says that obedience is better than sacrifice. Obeying his word. So you can offer the sacrifice of praise. But you know what God wants even more than that? As much as he loves praise, as much as he desires praise, he wants to find somebody that's willing to obey his word. Well, hallelujah. Amen. Listen, this is what we've got to know. The scriptures teach, we've already talked about. The scriptures teach, repent, be baptized in Jesus' name. Receive the Holy Ghost, speaking with tongues. And I'm here to tell you, it doesn't matter how much they praise God. It doesn't matter what else is going on. If they're not teaching the truth of God's word, God said it's better that they obey than that they sacrifice. Hallelujah. God is looking for obedience. In fact, if we were to go on and keep reading uh, in that same passage, he goes on and says that rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. And, and he's saying that in keeping with the word of God. And, and do you understand the context of this passage? The context was Saul was told to kill all of the Amalekites. And he did kill many of them. He was told to slay all of the animals that belonged to the Amalekites. And he did slay many of them. But to slay many of them was not obedience to God's word. And that's what I'm telling you. Again, not throwing stones, but they may obey this scripture and obey this scripture and obey this scripture. Listen, church, this is our challenge is to keep our faces in that book and make sure there's not one verse there that we are disobeying. Because I don't want to be guilty as Saul was of partial obedience. For God sees partial obedience as the same as disobedience. Now that's another lesson for another day. So, so when it came to Pergamos, Pergamos did not get the promise of an open door because Pergamos tolerated sin and false doctrine in their midst. Philadelphia didn't. Thyatira did not get the promise of an open door because they had compromised their faith. But Philadelphia didn't. You understand, as we go through each one of these letters and we find what it was that God was condemning in them, we find God commending Philadelphia because they didn't follow these other churches. Even though Ephesus was the mega church of the day. Philadelphia didn't pattern their church after Ephesus. They didn't try to become another Ephesus. And it's a good thing they didn't. Well, hallelujah. Now, another thing about them. Let's go back. Let's look again. Revelation 3, verse 8. I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door. I have set before thee an open door. And no man, no can, man shut can shut it. it. For thou hast For, a little strength. Or because, now let's look. Three things he enumerates here. Number one, you have a little strength. And has kept my number word. Number two, you've kept my word. And has not and denied three, my name. Oh, Hallelujah. 
You have not denied my name. Let me ask you a question. If a church will not baptize in Jesus' name, could it be said they've denied his name? They're denying baptism in his name. They're denying his name. Well, hallelujah. I'm here to tell you tonight that when God looked at Philadelphia, he said, here's another thing that I appreciate about you and I love about you. It doesn't matter what everybody else is doing. You elevate my name. You appreciate my name. You have not denied my name. Oh, listen to me, church. It doesn't matter now, nor will it ever matter as long as I've got breath. How many churches baptized saying Father, Son, and Holy Ghost? This is one church that's not going to deny his name. This is one church that will always do it in the name that's above every name. For neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. When you go to them and say, would you baptize me in Jesus' name? And they say, no. You know what they just did? They denied his name. They denied his name. Hallelujah. But Philadelphia. God said, I'm giving you an open door because you got a little strength. You may be a little church, but you're a strong little church. You've kept my word. You're not trying to follow the fads and the fashions. You're just trying to follow the scripture. And you've hung on to my name. And you've kept my name preeminent. I'm telling you, those three things put together a combination that when God looked down at that church, he said, I'm opening a door to you. I'm not opening it anywhere else among these churches, but I am opening it to you. And nobody's going to be able to shut this door, Philadelphia. I'm telling you, I've got the key in my hand and nobody can take it away from me. I'm going to give to you what I will not give to anybody else. Let me try it. Let me try it. I know I've only got six minutes here, and I've got four pages. Lord, I, I can't. There's, there's no way. There, I, if I did, if I did, I'd end up cutting this. I'd end up missing so much of this. I, I don't want to rush through it like that. I just... So we'll have to have a part four. I, I'm, I'm not going to try. Praise God. Hallelujah. I kept you long on Sunday morning, so I'm not going to do that tonight. Uh, I'm, I'm going to just cut it at this point, and we'll come back and talk about Because I really didn't even get to where I wanted to get in explaining the open door. I've explained to you why he opened the door. But I want to show you what I believe is involved in that open door, and that's really where I was headed tonight. We just didn't quite get to that point tonight. But Lord willing, we'll get there. We'll get there in our next, in our next installment of these, uh, of these lessons. Praise God. Let's stand tonight, everybody. I am so thankful to be a part of a church that God has opened a door. God's opened a door. 
I'm telling you, don't judge us by what you see right now. Don't judge us by what you see right now. I want to tell you, I want to tell you, Brother Hilton, go get that, go get that sign out there. Go get that sign out there. Bring it, bring it, bring it, bring it, bring it. This is a good way to end this service right here. Because I believe, and I told the church this, I told the church this, in fact, last year, but it's been a while since I've said it. I believe the Lord dealt with me and I had to repent because I haven't done a good enough job of keeping my vision in front of the church. But I want to tell you, church, where we are right now is not where we're going to be. What you see in front of you is what we're going to be. And you know why? Because God has set before us an open door. I want you to take a good look. I want you to pick out a parking place. I want you to figure out this is where I'm going to park when we start meeting there for service. Well, and I want to tell you it goes far beyond this because because part of this process is planting other churches all around this metropolitan area and elsewhere. So we're going to fill this one up and we're going to be putting churches and people in those churches and fill this up again and do the same again and again and again. But in the midst of it all, we're headed that direction and God's going to do it. Because he's given us an open door and there's nobody, 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 nobody that can shut the door that God has opened to this church. Let them say what they want to say. Let them do what they want to do. But God has opened the door. Hallelujah. Now I said this is a good place to conclude this service because we've been talking. We've we've had our leadership meeting and uh, actually took two weekends to do it rather than just one as we normally do our major leadership meeting. One of the things that we feel very strongly that we want to do is every quarter we want to have we want to have a special meeting every quarter. Now you know every year the president of the United States has a an address and he addresses the nation and they call it the state of the Union Address. And and in doing that, he is to declare to Congress and to the people where we stand as a nation. What our condition is as a nation. That's the purpose of the annual State of the Union Address. What we're going to do is every quarter, we plan to have a State of the Vision Address. And we're going to come back every three months and say, here's where we are. Here's the vision. Here's what we're striving towards. And here's where we are in getting that vision accomplished. 
What I'm asking of this assembly is that you get on board with this vision like never before. That you get excited about this vision like never before. And you decide I'm going to do everything in my power to help this vision come to pass. This is not something I'm handing off to somebody else. It's not just going to be Brother Nelson who's over the outreach. It's not just going to be Brother Hilton who's over the young people. But I'm telling you, I'm a part of this church. And I'm a part of this vision. And I'm going to do everything I can do to help bring the vision about. I'm going to get involved. I'm going to put my shoulder to the plow. I'm going to become a laborer in the vineyard because I want to see this vision come to pass. Listen, nobody can stop us. Nobody can stop us. But as it was with Ephesus, they stopped themselves. I'm appealing to the true church. Let's not do what Ephesus did. Let's not stop ourselves. God has told us there's an open door. I feel the Holy Ghost right now. God has said there's an open door to this church. God has said he's given us that open door. Let's go through it. Let's fight for it. Let's pray. Let's fast. Let's reach out. Let's invite others. Let's do everything we can do to show God I'm a part of this vision. Oh, I feel it, I feel it, I feel it, I feel it, I feel it. Come on, church, we're marching on. This is our hour. This is our day. This is our time. This is it. God has stepped into the midst of this assembly once again. And he said, the door's still open. I'm just waiting on you to walk through it. I'm just waiting on you to lay claim to it. I'm waiting on you to do your part. Amen. To begin to possess the promises. That's why 2022 is the year of promise. Now, I'm not trying to steal the thunder from our meeting. We got one scheduled now. Uh, not this Thursday night, but next Thursday night, our first state of the vision. If you cannot be here because of work schedule, we will, we will make it available to you online, not just our north. It won't be out there for the public but we'll provide you an access through Microsoft Teams. We'll, we'll give you a way that you can, you, can, you can join it remotely because this is for the church family. But let me just tell you, they, the, 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 the leadership, we talked about what can we do to make this vision go forward? What can we do to cause this thing to come about? As leaders of this church, what can we do? And, and they told me, they said, they said, we need clear direction from you. We need to know where you want to be at the end of the next quarter. We want to know where you want to be at the end of one year. We want to know where you want to be at the end of 10 years. So I prayed about it. I thought about it. I, I stewed on it a while. And let me just tell you something, church. And, 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 and listen to me. I know some people are going to say this is way out there. But when you say that, it's because you're looking at what's here right now. 
But here is what I envision. That one year from now, we're already building this building. Because the building we're in is full and we don't have room for anybody else. One year, one year, one year, one year. I'm declaring it tonight. One year from now, I say it will happen. If the church will get on board, if we'll work together, if we will bind together, if we'll pray, if we'll not let the devil divide us, if we'll not let the devil destroy us, I'm telling you within a year, we can be breaking ground, we can be beginning to build, within a year we can see it happening. I've got a plan. I've got some goals. And we'll talk about all that. Not this Thursday night, but the next. And I'll lay it out for you. And we're really not that far from the first goal. We're really not that far from our first goal. That, that really, I've given us three months to hit our first goal. And really, we're not that far from it right now. And once we reach that goal... It's not going to be that hard to reach the second goal, which will be six months from that point. And once we reach that goal, it's not going to be hard at all to go on in the final three months of the year. Everybody's with me. We got three months and then six months and then three months. We're not far from goal one. And we got three months to get there. We're not far. Once we hit that goal, once we maintain that goal, we got six months to do it again. And I'm going to tell you, it's really not that hard for us to do it. Six months from the end of the first three months, nine months from now, which puts us at the end of the calendar year. And then... By this time next year, we're, we're working on a building. In fact, I'm just going to tell you, I'm reckless enough to say we'll be in a building. It may not be finished, but we can be inside. Is there anybody that's got that kind of reckless faith? Is there anybody that believes along with this pastor? Listen, nothing is impossible to the God that I serve. Nothing is impossible. He is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. Oh, hallelujah. And it's not, it's not, it's not about how much money you give. Though we will obviously have to give some along the way. But, but I don't believe I'm going to have to get up here and beg and plead and get a bunch of commitments and get people bogged down. I don't think all that's going to be required. I just believe if it's the will of God as I believe that it is, God's going to provide. 
Bishop Howard told me years ago, if it's the will of God, number one, it's always going to be affordable. And number two, it's always going to be doable. If it's really the will of God, God's going to provide the finances. If it's the will of God, God's going to provide the ability to get it accomplished. Is anybody on board with me tonight? We're going somewhere. We're going somewhere. We're going somewhere. Now, for those of you who haven't heard it, I know we're not going to have a whole lot of time on that Thursday night. I actually have computer-generated graphics, 3D drawings of the inside of this building as well. And, uh, and it's, it's beautiful. And, uh, you know, we may have to make a few adaptations along the way here and there, but, but it's beautiful. But understand that what you're seeing here is the full project. There's three phases here before we get to the point of what you see on that board. And we're talking about one year from now being in phase one. So it's not going to be this whole building, which I think seats around 1,500. But, but it is going to be the first phase of the building. And I don't even remember now what the total is. We'll find those plans. We never did find the plans. Did we? we got the plans. They're here probably up in the attic uh, most likely. I think that's where we put them. We just didn't pull them down for me to get the numbers and we weren't going to have them tonight. I wasn't planning to go into any of this tonight. But, but anyhow, whatever the numbers are, but we're going we're gonna to do our best to be into that phase one building within a year. Most likely building on it within nine months. Because if we meet the goals that I feel led God wants us to meet, we're going to need to be building on it within nine months. Well, hallelujah. So you know what I'm asking of you? Number one, catch the vision. Number two, if you've got the vision, pray about the vision. Number three, if you've got the vision, fast about the vision. Number four, if you've got the vision, start working towards the vision. Oh, hallelujah. We got Easter Sunday coming up, not this weekend, but the next. Easter's the easiest time of the year to get people to church. Why don't you reach out to somebody you know and see if they'll come to service with you on Easter Sunday? Who knows? God may just pour his spirit out in such a way we may surpass our first goal within the next couple of weeks. We are that close. We could do it. It's, we're, we're within striking distance of the first goal. It could happen with just a little bit of a push. We could hit the first goal. Oh, hallelujah. I'm excited. Anybody else excited? All right, I know you guys came up here to sing. I'm not going to keep them any longer. I've kept them past 9 o'clock. I just want us to take a moment and pray. And I want us to ask God to help us. I want us to ask God to make this vision clear in our hearts and minds and spirit and for us to be driven by this vision that everywhere we go, everything we do, we're keeping this vision in mind and that somehow we're going to do our part to bring the vision to pass. 
Could we pray? Let's everybody talk to the Lord right now. Jesus.